This is Big Red Potion. And as always, I'm joined by the man who puts the naught into scribble noughts, Joe Dillier. Joe, how's it going? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Ready to get my emotions on in <laughs> front of a lot of people, on. which... <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that before. Um, <laughs> right. Trademark. Let, let's, let's get our emotions on with our first guest. He is the senior editor at Game People and the author of its Soulful Gamer section, so we're looking to get our Soulful on with him today. Uh, it's nice. Adam Standing. Hello, everybody. Hello. Thank you. Welcome back. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Fantastic stuff. Okay, our second guest is one of Justin McElroy's favourite people in the entire world. <laughs> it could only be uh, Paul Rooney, who I believe will be sharing uh, some news with us about his new role at the end of the show. So, uh, Paul, welcome. Thank you very much. And yeah, that is indeed the case. Very glad to be back on the show. Fantastic. How is it in sunny Scotland in October? It's dismal. <laughs> Who did you think it was going to be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not raining. I, I just felt compelled after Chris O'Regan last week talking about the weather to have every show open with the weather with a British guest, but uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so, on to our third guest, and listeners might be familiar with some of her work. She is the president and co-founder of that game company called That Game Company, which was so called clearly to catch out podcast hosts like myself. Um, <laughs> it's also the company which uh, brought us the PlayStation Network bestsellers, Flower and Flow. So we are delighted to welcome Kelly Santiago onto the show. Kelly, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you. How are you doing? Great. It's sunny in Los Angeles. Yes, I'm not certain. But that's the norm. You're, <laughs> you're talking to three Brits who are just enjoying October, so... Uh, <laughs> and uh, and in New Yorker, who I expect is incredibly dismal, uh, your part of the world, Joe. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all just a bit jealous. <laughs> it's that it's the bad part though is that I don't get to play a lot of video games because I don't have a lot of excuses to. It's so nice outside. You're like, oh, I should be outside playing. Um, so you get rarely get the nice gray day where it's like I want to play video games all day. <laughs> <laughs> we had a nice day. A couple of weeks ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the first nice day of the year. It was that one, right? Okay. It was lovely, and I still played games, so. At a boy, Paul. <laughs> I'm focused. <laughs> sad. Yes, I know the word sad. <laughs> right. Um, uh, aside from the weather, we are going to be talking about something else today, and that is emotional gaming and. Uh, that's uh, you, people might have guessed that since we've oh, the common link between all our three guests is that uh, well it's emotion really Kelly obviously working for that game company whose uh, main message is to produce emotional experiences in video games and uh, Adam writing the soulful game of log and Paul who anyone who knows him is probably one of the most emotional uh, people you can meet <laughs> so um, my twitters all have numerous exclamation points <laughs> <laughs> just 140 exclamation points <laughs> So what we're going to do is ask each of our guests what their most emotional moment with gaming was and try to dig a bit deeper into the emotions and the context surrounding them, uh, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether it was angry, happy, or tragic. And uh, so uh, 
what we'll do is we'll go around the pod panel, each of our three guests, and uh, we will start with uh, Kelly, I think. <laughs> Put you right on the spot, Kelly, at the, oh, at the beginning. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. So, uh, so Kelly, what, what's been your most emotional moment with gaming? Um, well, I have to say that my, my most emotional moment with gaming happened not too long ago, actually, which was the first time I experienced um, Jason Rohr's game Passage. Um, and in Passage, it's a very short game. It's five minutes, I believe, every gameplay. And you play as this little guy moving left to right along a very um, thin board. Uh, you can only see a very thin slice of it. You encounter a woman and you may or may not get together with her. Um, if you move together with her, you know, you, can, you can't access as much of the board as you can by yourself. You become a little less mobile, but there you get um, other, the, the benefit of her company, essentially, <laughs> going <laughs> from beginning to end. And the, the level's design is um, fairly abstract. It's just colors and patterns, very pixel art. It was part of um, the Montreal uh, Gamma Show a couple years ago, um, which was to make two, a game in, in 256 pi- pixels. And as you get towards the end, eventually your partner dies and you die, and that's it. And so it's sort of representative of a passage through life from, from beginning to end, um, as told by Jason Rohr. And it just really um, blew me away how much um, was communicated through this very simplistic game um, and a very short amount of, of gameplay. And yet it gave me just enough so that it really started opening up um, my thought process into how I was understanding this, and I, the first time I saw it was in Montreal at the Gamma Show, and so I was with other people, and it really engaged us in this very lengthy conversation uh, on on how each of us was interpreting what was given us differently and what that meant. And it just, uh, I, I really loved how, again, how this very simple game could elicit such a reaction from myself and from the, the people I was with, and cause us to go into conversation. And that's what's really led me to then think more about this idea of replayability and how much, um, how much replaying the actual game um, is valuable versus the replayability of your mind, essentially. How much something, how much of, uh, what is the value of a game that simply makes you think a lot. Um, that was my experience. Has anyone else played the passage here? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of didn't really know what it was. I, I saw that it had, you know, been entered in several contests. And I, I think I saw the post on Joystick about it. That's how I learned about the game. And I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. But, I mean, it, as Kelly said, in a very short amount of time, you get hit with a lot in that game. And it becomes this experience that you don't really know what to make of it after it's over. But you realize that, you know, what you just saw was something that... <laughs> Not many games in ten hours can produce the things that this thing did in three or four minutes, and mm. it was very impressive. That, that that's what strikes me as amazing that it was just five minutes each gameplay, and it, and it, what can happen can be vastly different between playthroughs. Clearly, like you said, Teddy. I mean, 
uh, I can think of many games which don't budge an iota from start to finish over 12 hours, <laughs> and yet you've got something that changes so much within within five minutes. I mean, I don't know if it is spoilers. I guess you know, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put the spoiler preface in front of it. But I mean, what happened when you played for it, Kelly? What was your experience? Well, I experienced. Um, I, I definitely gravitated towards moving with the other person. Um, so even though I had less mobility, I couldn't get as many pickups throughout, um, I was going along with her. And then when you, you see both characters, um, get visibly older through the game. And so you kind of know where it's headed, but still when I lost her, I think possibly because it was within this very limited system, each component then... Um, becomes more meaningful to you as a player. So then her loss um, means a lot because there's not a lot else. (laughs) I really feel it. (laughs) So, yeah. What's what's also impressive, I mean, not just the fact that it's it's five minutes, you said it was 256 pixels. Is that in terms of uh, the length or width of the... I think I've seen pictures and it's it's essentially a passage isn't it <laughs> what you're going through yeah I don't know the exact resolution of Jason Ro- uh, of passage because um, it's a very thin um, horizontal bar that it takes place in right. but um, I, I remember that being the limitation on the the show that year so it's within that limitation I'm not sure exactly I mean that just makes it even more impressive that it was able to convey something with just you know, such limited visuals and yeah, exactly. Um, and again, this idea of what, what's the what's the real value of replayability? And for me, it certainly lies more in something that's provocative that makes elicits a strong emotion for me, and then has me thinking about it. Um, but it's still that's that's certainly not the definition that publishers have today <laughs> yeah. when they when they ask you for more replayability <laughs> i can't imagine many uh, of the major publishers accepting a five minute game that, <laughs> as, as their uh, frontline product is this game on is it on pc yes it, it is on, yeah it's on pc if you go to jason Rohr's website and i believe it's also on iphone now that's correct, yes. I can, yeah. I'm certain half our listeners um, are going to be downloading it as we speak now. You've said that. Um, <laughs> I, I Kelly, so. how did, Kelly, how did you actually feel when playing the game? What emotions did it elicit in you? How did you kind of react with the game in such a short period of time? I, I would imagine it would be difficult mm-hmm. to have a kind of immersive experience, you know, and to go through you know, all those emotions. Or how, how is it you felt? during that in such a short period of time I'd imagine that would be an incredibly difficult thing to do as a developer well again I think he really utilised um, the uh, the economy of means of designing within a really simple system so there's not a lot and therefore each part of it is more meaningful um, to could be more meaningful to you as a, as a player and so when I'm travelling by myself in the game and then I see that other person I really feel Oh, there's this this kindred spirit. I'll, oh, thank God, I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> this is so great um, because also the the again the view on your screen is so limited and you really feel isolated at the at the beginning of the game. Um, and then as you as I was moving through and there were pickups to be collected, 
I would get them as a good <laughs> the good gamer that I am. I would go pick these things up, but I wasn't. They really there's a little number ticker, but other than that, there there wasn't much. Val, it didn't seem like I was getting a lot of value out of these pickups. So at first, I'm very I feel very rewarded as in any game when I'm going around collecting something. But then it it began to feel um, sort of empty and meaningless, and I wasn't sure um, what to do at that point. Um, and then to to reach the end so quickly is. Uh, the first time through, I'm trying to think back to that experience. It was, um, in a way, a relief to experience the full cycle of a game from beginning to end in, in such a short period of time. And yet, there's, I, I was left sort of feeling uh, sad and empty um, by the end of it uh, because it seemed like it was all all for naught. And at the same time. All of those reactions, I think, really reveal a lot about myself in my own feelings, right, about the experience of life from beginning Absolutely to end. incredible that a five-minute game can elicit so much response from a person. But I totally agree with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. When you, when you um, talked about it with uh, the other people at the, at the convention afterwards, were there anybody... People, any of the people who just didn't get it, just <laughs> thought it was just a, a dinky little game, just doing doing. You know, some people, when we had this conversation about emotional games, we've we've had people on the show before who think that games aren't art or can't provoke the kinds of emotions that other mediums can. I mean, was there anyone there who just didn't really get the game? Um, I mean, I have issues with the phrase like if you get something or not because I feel like it. it your experience of something is totally valid. So if someone, you know, experiences the passage and has no reaction to it whatsoever, I think that's perfectly valid experience of it. And there probably were people like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that anyone at the show spent as much time. I was actually sitting with, um, Ian Bogost from, uh, water cooler games and he writes a lot on video games and, uh, we discussed the game for probably <laughs> over an hour. We were really, we really were blown away by it. So, so you know, I don't know that everyone's going to have that experience of it either. Um, and, now, and now I'm realizing that the true spoiler alert for this whole this whole game was me going through my <laughs> emotional experience of it because I think for your listeners, you know, it's important that they get whatever whatever they get out of it. I think I thought that was what was so um, interesting about the game is that um, different people would get uh, different reactions out of it, and then and then the discussion between people about their different emotional reactions towards the game was um, r- really interesting. We'll put a tag before the show that says "Play the passage before you listen to this podcast." South <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sounds like just good advice anyway. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like something you just have to play. Do you think in a game so short that... See, what you were saying about the pickups, and then afterwards having picking them up, they seemed to be meaningless, and how you felt after afterwards was... Can it, you said, I think you said empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe it was lost, I don't know. Do you think there was, there's kind of messages in there of maybe like materialism? 
like constantly picking up things, shiny things, and I know a lot of people discuss the kind of a hollow feeling of materialism. Like you've you've got all this shiny, lovely, new kind of expensive stuff, but you don't feel satisfied in any way. You feel almost empty inside. And I guess I, I must say I, I have kind of experienced that before. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Do you think that might have been on the, the developer's mind, perhaps? I, I think it's possible. Um, I think Jason Rohr probably has an artistic statement up, but I don't read artistic statements because I think they are also spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, so, I, I mean, that that's certainly a message I got out of it. And, um, and it's certainly something that I feel about longer experiences as well in, in video games. You know, the, the collection, the addiction, especially since... Um, my boyfriend is a, a collector in games, and so he will, if there's a shiny thing to collect 100 of in a game, you know, you've gotten him. <laughs> and he knows it. He's very aware of this issue. But for me, that's I, I just really, um, uh, you know, sort of cheap trick on the, on the part of a designer to, um, to get gamers to go around and just collect shiny objects uh, which are essentially meaningless it's just that in a longer game you get caught up in maybe a deeper narrative and there's a lot of other stuff going on and so you're not paying as much attention to the individual mechanics where as in a game like passage uh, where it's extremely uh, simplified uh, you you have to confront um, each mechanic because there's not a lot of other stuff going on so it makes you uh, contemplate these specific components, I think, more than we normally do in uh, in longer and deeper games. It does seem like a bit of a, a kind of cheap longevity trick in some look, games. Like, well, I was going to say, uh, I was going to say a little bit like collecting 500 agility orbs in Crackdown <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, we've all done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, uh, I mean, going back to the earlier topic of replayability, that's what happens when um, the uh, producer or, or publisher demands replayability. That's, that's what you get. You get things that you have to collect, usually over multiple play experiences of the game, right? Um, which, to me, is sort of not as valuable as something where it it's causes it's a really short experience um the playthrough of the game is brief but um it's a a deeper and richer experience to me personally but that's intangible is the problem it's hard to measure that value it's easy to measure how long does it take someone to complete every mechanic in the game right it's interesting. I mean, I, we, we just left a comment by uh, one of our other get, uh, regular guests, um, Jeffrey Matleff, about talking about Shadow Complex, which we talked about last week. And uh, he pretty much said exactly what you just said about Shadow Complex, that it, it came off as, uh, to use his word, padding, um, which I know mm. both Joe and I, I think, disagree with with that game. Um, and it's... I, mm. I, I totally see where you're coming from, but... Uh, I guess maybe I, the reason why I get I get I, like your boyfriend I get drawn into collection type games <laughs> is uh, it's almost um, a very 
primitive instinctual thing to do in a game just uh, sure. and it's maybe that's just the way games conditioned us but I, I felt with at least with Shadow Complex and this is getting into a completely separate discussion that that was the point of the game and that there was no other point of the game mm. so it was almost more validated by that, mm-hmm. and that you know it wasn't trying to be anything else whereas um, maybe something like Arkham Asylum which we've recently played both me and Joe I think you have to play that twice if you want to collect everything i'm not sure but uh anything like that that i i i'm more on board w- with what you're saying there but I, I do agree that it is a it's a game convention which some people abuse some developers abuse uh beyond really forgiveness in, in some in some cases just out of curiosity kelly has anyone told you any publishers told you to add something like that to any of your games yes oh really <laughs> yes <Okay. laughs> i don't know where you were speaking from on this but that's really funny <laughs> Yeah, and it's hard because it's not like, I mean, publishers aren't stupid. <laughs> like, that is the the replayability, right? The, like, when, when there's a review of your game and it says, how many hours did this take to complete? That is totally something that the market has created, that gamers have asked for, right? And so, I, I you know, it's not like I know that I'm right and everyone else is wrong on this. Like, there's certainly they see a value in increasing that number of, of hours. I personally don't find a value in that. And, and you know, we, we're experimenting, I would say, as a company with the idea that, that maybe that isn't that valuable for, for players. Um, but, so we'll see. <laughs> I, I quite I, I enjoy I, I actually quite enjoy it sometimes if it if that element kind of facilitates an enjoyable experience as in maybe say crack down those agility orbs running jumping off buildings into like a swimming pool or whatever it was fun it was enjoyable and if mm-hmm. collecting those orbs is part of that then I will do that and have fun in the process just doing that mechanic you know the 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 orbs themselves are meaningless and i guess it is padding but sometimes just running about and playing with the game's mechanics is fun uh, that that happened in, in flower as well when you're getting the the hidden flowers that are that um i think there's three uh, the, the turquoise kind of colored flowers you can go back into level to get i'm i'm a big trophy <laughs> fan, so i went back into the I played through the flower and then back in. Oh, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And you, you, actually, I thoroughly enjoyed that. There was That's good I, to hear. I would say, yeah, I think that a lot of players found additional value um, in, in those, for sure. So of course, That's yeah. really good to hear. And uh, What was that? I just said, of course, yeah. I actually just, I, I liked seeing the, the colour, the colour itself. It's lovely. <laughs> you know, just looking at that against the certain backgrounds. I wanted to explore every nook and cranny <laughs> of that game. So I, I dare say it's the same in numerous games. So I was going to say that kind of facilitates sort of exploring that world even more by having that replay value in it, by taking different routes and doing things in a different way. Um, and I've been playing I've been playing Half Life Two again, and on the Xbox 360 you sort of collect lambda caches, which are just weapon stores, mm. and that's a collectible thing uh, for an achievement. But it also enables you to have a look at the world in a bit more detail. Mm. And the way that the narrative is spun in Half-Life 2 is sort of in much more of a subtle way by reading things on the walls or overhearing conversations. That by doing that, you get to see more of the world than you ever would normally if you just just barrel through the game in a single player. Just, you know, as quick as you could. That just adds a bit more depth to it. 
It's a good point. I mean, there's different play styles, and so I think for I think also this kind of these kind of collectibles to encourage exploration um, really work well for for the type of player who otherwise would be just blasting through to the end, just very um, goal oriented. Um, whereas, I mean, that's something where I uh, differ as well. Where I really love, I don't need any prompting to you know explore the world of Half-Life 2, and when I play, when I, when I used to play Halo, um, Halo 2 online, um, I, uh, wouldn't engage in the competition that was occurring. (laughs) My friends and I would go off and, um, basically go hiking (laughs) in the levels, (laughs) um, to go see, so you kind of have this scene where the battle's happening in the distance, and, you know, we would find, uh, places, uh, remote places to explore, um, so that's also just who I am as a player, too. I mean, uh, to, to, to bring it back full circle, because that, that we've gone on an interesting tangent there, but it is a tangent, um, I mean, you know, that, uh-huh. I think that's what's impressive, clearly, about the passage, that it gets us thinking about game, game conventions. I'm, I'm definitely going to try now on the back of that. I mean, just before we move on to our, our next guest's moment, we're talking about uh, about trophies and uh, achievements and collectibles. I mean, Flower had some really curious trophies, uh, which seemed designed mm-hmm. to uh, maybe challenge <laughs> how, 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 you know, trophies and, and the sort of regular achievements that games had. I mean, one of them was to, to stare at the uh, window I think it was for five or five, five oh, minutes yeah. or something um, I mean what was the design team's sort of thinking behind the trophies and flower and the other one was to come back after a week of not playing yes. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> fantastic mm-hmm. that's awesome uh, thanks well yeah I mean we we try uh, to make very holistic experiences and I would say that you, we weren't thinking of trophies from the very beginning so it was uh it was a challenge for us to try and figure out how to utilize the system um and yet make it feel organic to the central experience of the game um so it's good to hear that uh we were fairly successful i think a lot of people got really frustrated with the pure (laughs) trophy uh for getting through level the the sort of wasteland level um unscathed uh but other than that i think it's been a a a good you know added value for players um and they've they've really enjoyed it and this is a great opportunity for me to say that trophies for flow just went live in north america yesterday and will be coming out in europe um in the next couple weeks we can Check our blog or Twitter or, you know, it'll be on the um, PlayStation blog probably in the next couple of weeks as to when it'll go global. Oh, excellent. And those two, we, you know, of course we added those after Flow launched. Um, so it was also about trying to figure out how we could utilize that system, tie it into the, the core emotion of the, of the game. Um, and I think... They're pretty cool. I, I think they're really interesting to players, so I'm looking forward to hearing back on that. Excellent stuff. I, I must admit, the the game that has the most uh, trophies collected on my system is Flower. So there you go. <laughs> it's the white. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little something for everyone. Some advice.
Serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well-informed Gamerdork UK. Gamerdork, 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 Gamerdork. Find like-minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. There's one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment. Okay, so let's let's move on to our, our second uh, emotional moment, and I think we will go to Adam. Okay, well, I actually found this quite a difficult thing to think of over the, the past week, um, and it was difficult to think of anything that happened in gaming before a certain point in my life happened, um, and it was before having a family. Um, and I was looking back and I was thinking that there's not really any game at all that, that had an effect on me in, in, in any kind of emotional way, apart from anger, of course, but I mean anything that really connected in, in, in a <laughs> deep way. Um, but I found that, that since, since having a family, um, games have they've either gotten a lot better or I think my perspective, which is more probable, has, has dramatically changed in the way I look at, at pretty much everything. Um, and the themes of sort of of family and like a fear of losing them or any kind of loss like that are the ones that obviously affect me the most. Um, and so the game that has sort of given me the most emotional moment, and it's one I've be, been playing over the past couple of months, um, and that's Dragon Quest V for the DS, uh, which is a remake of the uh, the 1992 game for the Super Famicom. And it never came over. Never came over into the uh, into the US or Europe. Um, so it's a really old game, um, but uh, it's got it's got quite a few moments that really affected me. Um, and it's because the whole the whole game is pretty much set around the theme of family. Um, you start off as a young boy, um, and in the end of the game, you end up having children. Um, but one of the one of the moments is sort of. In the very beginning, you, you're with your father, adventuring, um, and you're very reliant on him because he's so much more powerful than you are. Um, and when he gets killed in front of you, you feel—I did—I felt such a sense of of loss in in losing someone I relied on so much in the game, even in just combat situations. Um, but I think the most the most sort of moving part for me was after you become a father in the game. Um, you have children, and then your wife gets kidnapped, and then you go and get her as the player. You go and find her in this dungeon, and then you both get turned into statues by this by the by the bad guy. Um, and sort of you get turned into statues, and you get found by by grave robbers, who then cart you off to an auction house, and you get separated from your wife, and instead of being able to sort of bring up your own kids who are back at your castle, you have to watch someone else bring up their kid after you're placed in their backyard as a trophy. And you have to sort of watch this guy, this this other family, bring up their children. Um, you, watch, you watch them sort of take their first steps, you say their first word, and the game takes away that whole part of this character's life and lets you watch someone else do it. Um, and that really, really got to me. 
Um, I was quite surprised how much it did. Um, but it just it just played on my fears of sort of losing my own children um, at such a critical age, and and sort of looking after them and raising them. Um, and I think it's partly that's you know due to my overactive imagination, um, putting myself in the position of the character I'm playing, and sort of just running with the feelings that I I get from it. But I was really surprised at how such a sort of diminutive game like Dragon Quest V could really affect me like that. Um, and I was I was I was amazed that it, it could happen. Um, and it's uh, yeah no it it was just it, I think it's if I'd have played that three years ago when I hadn't had children I don't think it would have meant very much to me at all. But it's it's because of the situation in my life, how that's changed over the past three to four years, that's made me appreciate certain storylines and certain things like that a lot more than I would have done. Um, yeah, that's my that's my emotional moment. I continue to be flummoxed when we do these kind of shows by the by the games that guests bring up. I mean, we've, we've done this so many times, <laughs> and each time I think I've got a fairly good idea of what's going to come up, and I'm continually surprised. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a Dragon Quest game at all. Yeah. I mean, not to say it's, it isn't a great series and it hasn't had great moments, but um, I, you know, it, it comes from a genre which is continually associated with uh, stories that are cliche and and tired and tried. But you, it's great that you found something in in Dragon Quest V that really stood out to you. I mean, did you say it was just shortly afterward after you becoming a father for the first time? Um, no, I mean it's. I played this. I've been playing this over the past couple of months, um, and I've got two kids now. Um, so the the eldest one's two and a half years old. Um, but um, yeah, it's because of that really that it had such an effect. Um, and Dragon Quest games, I've played a couple of them, and actually the the general story, if you like, is pretty much a generic. There's bad evil in the world. Mm-hmm. You've got to find some legendary hero to to kill it off, and everyone lives happily ever after. That's pretty much how all nine of them, are, I think, are are done. But I think Dragon Quest V, out of all of them, is considered the most emotional and uh, the most interesting of them all. Um, but I mean, the two that I've played sort of all the way to the end, which is uh, Dragon Quest IV, is the other one on the DS. I mean, that does some very interesting things with its narrative as well. But I mean, this, this specific one uh, was a big surprise to me that it puts so much emphasis on on having a family and the effect that that would have on you as as the character in the game. It makes me think of my um, when I was first introduced to the game Max Payne, where he also lo- loses his family mm-hmm. at the beginning and then has this. Uh, uh, hallucination um, in the middle of the game where he's imagining his 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 dead family members um, and I have a I had a nephew at that time who was maybe 10 or 11 and that it was the hot Max Payne was a hot game that year and so he had asked my mom to get it for him for um, for Christmas and she told me this afterwards and I said mom that game is real. I mean, it's first of all rated M for mature, but you know, so is Grand Theft Auto. And while Grand Theft Auto does have mature themes, they're almost comical. And I think that that's where a lot of video games, um, how they treat more serious subjects, um, a lot of times it's sort of sure. uh, over the top and and uh, funny. 
Um, but Max Payne to me was really no that that's mature. <laughs> like that's some really serious <laughs> subjects here, Mom. I don't think you should be giving it to him. <laughs> No, it's funny because I was going to mention I was going to mention Max Payne as an example of a game that I played when it came out um, and enjoyed it because it was it was really cool slow motion shooting. It was the first <laughs> game that ever did bullet time, mm-hmm. um, and I did find you know the story is pretty pretty dark. Um, but I know now that that is a game that I could not go back and play mm-hmm. simply because of the very beginning part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you actually. You actually go into the bedroom and you see the corpse of your baby and your wife there. And, yeah, I mean, I imagine it looks pretty terrible now in terms of graphical quality, but the very theme of doing that is probably something I couldn't actually stomach doing now. Um, yeah. Which is an interesting change for me as a player of a game. So. The, uh, the Silent Hill series has same themes, too, where uh, in each game you're dealing with the loss of some type of family member. The first one's your daughter, the second one's your wife, and the third one's your father. And uh, all three of them handle it pretty maturely, actually. So it's probably not something that you would want to play either. No, I've never actually played the Silent Hill series, and it's, it has been something I've been meaning to play. Mm. Um, yeah, I know, Paul. I know. Yeah, I know. Yes. It's interesting because um, family isn't a very common theme in, in games. I mean, they tend to follow a more Hollywood model of your your girlfriend or your loved one or your and I, I say girlfriend because usually male protagonists but um yeah I, i'd say family isn't i mean is that a wrong assumption that family is is a uncommon theme in games yeah what well, i was just gonna say yeah i was just gonna say i think um we're we maybe are starting to see in a shift because uh there are more game designers who are becoming uh parents and that that's now also shifting from the, a shift sapping from a creative standpoint as well, which I think could be interesting. That's a very good point, actually. That we're all we're all growing up, and eventually uh, <laughs> we're all going to have children at some point, hopefully, and uh, that it will bleed into into game development. Um, it's interesting that again to go to sort of the JRPG angle. I mean, typically when we talk, we have this conversation. Final Fantasy VII comes up, and uh, I was go- I was going to mention that in relation to to what you were talking about, Kelly, because obviously the the big moment in Final Fantasy VII. And I'm not going to put a spoiler tag in here. If you've not, <laughs> not played it, really, what are you doing? I've not played it. So. <laughs> so, <put> your <laughs> hands over your ears and, and no, I am not. I think I know what go what goes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I'm talking about when when Aerith dies, and uh, it's such a sudden shock to lose your your main female companion. Of, that's, that opens a whole new kind of worms if I can say that. But um, you know, that's it's almost like a, a a weird parallel to what happened in the passage. And uh, and similarly, like what Dragon Quest does is 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 really different in in that game. So, I mean, I I just think you know Final Fantasy Family just doesn't really come up beyond very tired, overdone. And I, I hate to really bash on the JRPG genre, but it, it does seem to reuse the same storyline so you don't really get the idea mm-hmm. that you were talking about in Dragon Quest V popping up anything like that no I mean I I've written about Lost Odyssey before until the point that you're probably sick of Sinan but um, <laughs> we've uh, had lots of discussions on that game <laughs> yes we, um, but I mean the main character there and, and some of the things that really affected me in that were more family based um, but whereas Dragon Quest V is very much sort of feels like a medieval 
historical place in in a very rough rough sort of way um i mean the characters that you play are all human um lost odyssey is about an immortal who has you know a life of thousands and thousands of years so it's very difficult to to compare it to your own life and feel a connection in that way you can feel sympathy for that character that you're playing but the way that dragon quest 5 sort of the hero in that game well not really even the hero the character you're playing mainly feels so vulnerable and human and has its own flaws and it's very much you as a player whereas a lot of other a lot of other games a lot of jrpgs it's very much the character that is separate from you the player which makes it a bit more difficult to empathize with them um, and i found that the dragon quest 5 did a much better job in in sort of connecting with me as a person to the point where i was putting myself in the position that, that character is in in the game and i think we talked joe didn't we a couple of shows back about the idea of being a character and uh watching a character and playing as them but not necessarily being them i mean i i i've got we got a few comments back about that show about how we were totally off the mark and uh <laughs> you know it's impossible to to become the character but clearly that's what you felt you, you'd done in this case adam and it wouldn't have worked if you if it if you hadn't have felt that no i mean i think another part of it is actually the system it's on um the fact that it's on the DS, I mean, most people would think, well, it's got crappy graphics and it's, you know, it's an old system and it's a very old game. But the manner in which you play some games has such a dramatic sort of effect on you. Um, and when I play a DS game, I'm usually curled up in on the sofa or in a chair or I'm up in bed. And it's much like reading a book. You sort of envelop yourself in that whole world, almost like you have a separate bubble out of reality. And all that you're paying attention to is that game. Whereas playing a game on a console, you're so, there's sort of like a disconnect really with your playing. You have a controller in your hand and you're looking at a distant TV or monitor. So there's much sort of a greater chance of, of real life interfering with that experience. And I think that's part of the reason why this game sort of sucked me in so much. Because it felt like just reading a really dramatic and emotional book. I wanted to... to on that note, to ask um, our other guests, Paul and, and Kelly, and, and Joe as well, actually. Um, you know, had, with, with games that you've played, have you ever felt like like Adam did that you were you were the character, and has that affected you more than when you didn't? If you get my drift, if you, as opposed to say, you know, with, with say something like Metal Gear Solid Four, you clearly aren't Snake. You are watching Snake doing what he does. It's a very defined character. Whereas with a say something like uh, the obvious example Half-Life 2 it's it's more easy maybe to put yourself in the shoes of that character I mean is that you know just rubbish and, and, and just over looking too much into perspective or have you guys felt anything similar to what Adam did well for me I it's very much a mechanics issue I'm not um, good at twitch play and and typically f games with first person perspectives are act shooters, things that require a lot of dexterity and controls, which um, I'm not I'm not good at. So I, uh, I don't feel very immersed in those experiences. However, I think it actually, um, my level of, of attachment to the character or not, comes more from um, how much uh, is explained about them, really. Because what immediately came to mind to me was the little boy in Ico. 
I think was a character that I really had a lot of emotional attached to, even though I'm not a little boy wearing um, horns or whatever. um, The fact that there was nothing said about this character. He just, you just watched him, you know, be taken to the sacrifice, be put away, and then fall out miraculously. Um, It just allowed me to place my own imagination of his backstory and so and in that way sort of wrapped us together and so I think games that leave more to the player to impose um, you know superimpose themselves onto the character uh, has a have a better um, sort of relationship and then those where the character is very clearly different than me um, then I, I won't feel as much for that makes sense at the same time, oh. I really enjoyed Nico in Grand Theft Auto 4. I really felt for him. I really, I don't know that I identified with him, but I was empathetic. I had a lot of empathy. I'm going to mute because LAPD is flying over my house. That was incredible. Wow. It had to be the, the New Yorker or the LA person. <laughs> But in this case, it was her. I was going to totally agree with uh, what Kelly said because even in uh, Shadow of the Colossus, I mean, when you know your 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 blank slate wanderer loses his only companion in the world at the end of the game when the horse falls uh, from the bridge, I mean that is a very that was actually one of the moments I was thinking of talking about today because it's such a it's such a deafening blow. It's something that you just you you can't even think about happening because he's literally been your only link to something alive in that world except for the giants that he'd been slaying, of course. But um, I think that in particular left a big uh, impact on me. But uh, for me personally, as far as putting myself in the character's shoes, the games that I really tend to do that in are the ones that uh, have been coming out lately that ask you to make a lot of moral choices. So uh, Fallout 3 and Mass Effect, stuff like that, where, you know, the character is kind of just this, this, you know, link from your world to theirs. And you have to kind of make all the decisions. Like in Fallout 3, I, I couldn't make any evil decisions because I didn't want to see the world that I've been building become something that I didn't want. Um, and when I accidentally did let a horde of zombies into a town and they killed a whole bunch of people accidentally, um, I felt bad about it. I really did. And I actually, I mean, I looked through my saves to see if I could possibly read undo what I did, but it wasn't possible in that case. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of, uh, the games that actually, actively ask the user to do something like that. I think there's more of a link for me, personally. Right. And and from there, hopefully, you can produce, you know, emotional responses. And I I, I, I was just like you, Kelly. I, I really got attached to Nico, even though he's nothing like me in any way. But I, I think it, with him, how at least how I felt about it, was that he felt like the normal link in a world of crazy stereotypes and very weird people. That, the, the guy, at least I could... I kind of respected a bit and almost felt like, you know, was just the wrong guy in the wrong world. It's just something that's had to, that, that had to occur to him that he had to end up in, in New York. That was the only step that was logical for him. It's true. It's very common in, um, in TV and film to have the character that represents the voice of the audience. And uh, you'll, you notice it a lot on TV shows um, that are about deep subjects like politics or science and there's always the person who is kind of stupid and asking questions that of course everyone else would know but you know oh what what do you mean by this you know and that's always the the person who's representing 
the audience. And, uh, and I kind of think that's what you're talking about as well as like when the character is that is the same as the character that's, that re that's representing the player, there's, um, there's an attachment. And I also think it's the difference between, um, uh, some of what we're talking about is the difference between sort of good writing and bad writing. Um, and when a game's written really well, you get really into the characters, um, or, or you feel, if it's first person and you're yourself, you know, you feel like you're really in the scene. Um, and when it's bad writing, you know, you just don't feel any, much of anything, <laughs> except how do I win? <laughs> Well, to start off with, the game is Gears of War 2, and of course that's a joke. I just think back to my, to my <laughs> previous comment, like, what the I'm hell? so ready for it. <laughs> that, heart that, bit, that bit where Dom and that woman... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I couldn't, there, was a, there was a few instances I could think about that I was actually invested in the game, and, and it did elicit a kind of emotional response. Silent Hill 2 was the first thing, obviously I just had to mention that, but it being my favourite game. Uh, but I had to go with um, Secret of Mana, another JRPG, for the SNES, and it, it's not necessarily because I could relate to the lead character, because I couldn't. It was more to do with the music, and, and, and the, the graphics and the levels to an extent, but my big thing in games is all about being transferred to another world. It's not about narrative, it's not about grand theft, whatever. I, I really couldn't care about those games less. For me it's about the developers or whomever creating a world that I want to be in. I don't want to be in a grubby city, you know, uh, Liberty City or whatever. I, I don't want to be there, I want to be in the kinda, some of the more creative worlds by the, like the JRPGs. And Secret of Mana specifically addressed a couple of concerns with me. One is I'm an artist and I've always looked towards nature for everything I do and the lack of nature in cities, um, especially Glasgow, I went through a, a big kind of monochrome stage, everything was black and white, everything was angular. It's due to the fact I don't see nature on a daily basis but I think it is so incredibly important and vibrant which is why I, I film a house full of flowers or whatever but Secret Manor is a very natural game. When you first see the Squaresoft sign, you hear a whale, a whale noise, and it, it might be ridiculous to some people, but it sets the tone right from the, the Squaresoft logo. You hear this, like a, almost like a whale, kind of crying, almost this kind of heartfelt noise. And it continues all through. You start off in um, Potos Village, a very nice kind of provincial, everyday kind of village sunny, carefree, you know, and then the game takes you through a series of, of locales that are all, all very, are all very original. And that to me is where, where can, and, and the one one moment, sorry, that, that elicited that response to me was when you get a, a white dragon called Flammy, 
and at that point it's exactly the same as the Highland. At that point, the world's your muscle. You can go anywhere. And the music that plays at that point, it's just, it was just sheer euphoria. And it's basically just the whole package. It's nothing to do. I can I, I don't even I think I could struggle to tell you the plot. It would be and I think actually the plot would be something a, a kind of mirror image between my thoughts about cityscapes versus countryscapes, man made versus nature. And this is, is also quite similar. It's about nature versus this kind of oppressive empire who create this big warship or whatever. And the whole experience to me, there wasn't one moment in that game that I felt like crying or whatever. It was just unlike I've not came across any other game that has tackled that kind of natural environment to any extent. And for me that totally immersed me and I loved every single second of it. I think the the composers Hiroki Kikuta Kikuta um his music is a masterpiece and it, I think back in the SNES days the, um, especially with RPGs and the scope of them there wasn't a lot of characterization you couldn't really see the characters expressions they were just a series of pixels so all of the expression or the the conveyance of mood emotion setting came from the visuals and the music and I've, I've and the synchronization between the two is I've, I've not um, played anything even remotely similar has done it as well I, I must recommend everyone at least listen to the soundtrack if not start the, start playing the game for at least a couple of hours because it's it's just a, it's a wonderful experience for for me video games aren't they're not just escapism it's about that whole world that I'm part of and I'm going through and yeah that's basically it I would agree that a lot a lot of I, I'm shocked at the amount of games that take place in the real world and that you play as humans <laughs> because you think it's code, right? You can do anything. That's what Chris, uh, uh, Clint Hawking said at last year's GDC. Um, you could be anywhere. You could be anything. You know, why Why do we keep being ourselves? Pretty much exactly my point, yeah. That's <laughs> that's my whole thought. So many modern games, especially at the initial stages of like the, the next gen, new generation, current gen, whatever, they just seem so stagnant. There doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of imagination, innovation. It seems to be retreading the tropes of what is popular. And I don't know whether that's development costs. They have to play safe to reach a, an audience that are guaranteed or whatever. But I just feel there's um, Muramasa, the, the Demon Blade, and the one before that, which was Odin's Fear, Adam, which I, I just sent you to play. Um, it's, that's one of the few examples that I've played recently that creates a, a world and does th something originally. Why not? You know, it's, I just I just tire so quickly, especially of a lot of Western games that I tend to look to the East for these uh, Japanese market, Japanese developed games for original titles. And seamlessly leading on, so now my my new article for the for the site was all about originality in games with specific mention to uh, Demon Souls. Which which website would that be? <laughs> Yours? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, here. we might not. I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, Paul, Paul is uh, joining us as one of the, uh, as uh, well, our first writer on, on the site. So, uh, sure. Well, Yay. welcome. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mean. <laughs> 
Congratulations, it's awesome. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I, I can't wait to, to read that, that piece. But I, I totally agree with both of your sentiments that um, for a medium which can offer such, and you, you didn't, you hesitated using that word, but I, I would use it, escapism. It's fantastical escapism. It's an, yeah, you mentioned about passive escapism and whatnot in your article. I, I just wanted to differentiate between them because it's not just passive escapism. No. It's I am I'm embracing this world, and this this world is embracing me. You know, I become part well, of it. I, I guess the, the word escapism it, it implies you're you're trying to get away from something, whereas it's more like you're trying to find something new. Is is what you're saying? Something different, which I think it is an important difference to underline but um and I, I don't want to talk all the time about Kelly's games while we've got here but it, it, i think it would be completely remiss to not mention the fact because you know with, with flower i was reading an article today that someone said the only way to describe it was a windham up um <laughs> yeah that was on game yeah, site, wasn't yeah it? i think it was a, it was a charlie cool. Brooker, he, he had to use uh, windham up as a term i mean you know yeah that's right Clearly, that was something that was important to you when you were creating that game to try and do something that hadn't been done before in gaming, and I think I think you know in, in that respect you definitely succeeded. Uh, that when we when we talked about the show that we were definitely all in agreement when we showed that it was a uh, it was it was novel and, and exciting. Um, sure. Do you think that it, uh, to, to to ask you, Kelly? Like, yeah, how much how much do we have to go against convention to to create games like that? Um. Well. I keep waiting for the LAPD helicopter to come over again. It may come over again. Um, it, uh, um, it definitely... So So the, the, the first part of this is that our company mission is to create diff new experiences in video games. So um, I think it starting from there helps. Um, we also start from a place of, of examining what kind of emotion do we want to give to the player? What kind of experience emotionally or through a message do we want to provide to the player? Um, which is different than uh, games in the past. Typically you start with the mechanics and I think that does lead to a lot of repetition in game design. You start with, okay, I'm going to make a first person shooter. I'm going to make a racing game. I'm going to make an RPG, right? So, so there are already so many tropes um, that you're beholden to when you begin um, from from that perspective. And I think the other, what I was going to mention um, when you were talking about uh, Eastern games, you have to you you find yourself having to go to Eastern games. And I was also going to say um, it, indie games because um, the indie game festival is just here in Culver City, and I think. Uh, it's very likely because making humans, uh, like virtual humans, is really difficult and takes a lot of resources, um, animations, and your system and everything, that um, these smaller downloadable games and independent, in, independently developed games tend to be, I think, a lot more imaginative um, in that way. And, and certainly that's, that's part of us. I mean, we didn't, when we started Flower, you know, we didn't have an animation system at all. <laughs> so, so to say, to start with, oh, we want the character to be, you know, we want the player to be playing as a human. It just it wasn't even a possibility for us, um, which helps in unleashing your uh, imagination to other possibilities, certainly. So those restrictions actually ended up helping you? you oh, definitely. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, why. That's what I was saying about the 
the composer for Secret of Mana as well. Apparently he was saying the system was so restrictive, but that brought out the best in him, basically. Yeah, Genova really likes getting all of the technical limitations up front <laughs> before he embarks on, on the creative direction because he really like he finds um, it too uh, too difficult to design in just an unlimited potential space, you know. Um, so he really wants to know what are the what are my limitations, what are my restrictions, because that. Um, helps him um, to to imagine uh, a different sort of game or to work within those restrictions. I mean, it, I, I think to, to get back, and I, I, I do apologize for, for the, to derailing it, Paul, but to get back to your, to your moment, like... Um, Not at all. It, again, it's, we, we've talked about all these games and uh, there's been limitations to, to echo what Kelly's been saying, you know, uh, with... With the passage, it was very limited visually. With uh, with Adam uh, Adam's game, Dragon Quest Five, it's on you know first came out on the, on the SNES and uh, then on the DS, and that's of course you know limited in its in its functions. And uh, Secret of Mana, to, to say its music was one of the most important things that that particular moment. That and we're going to play the song later on in the show. I think that just that's amazing to me that something that was so restricted by the system could have that effect on you. I mean. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at is, do you think it would have, if it was a full orchestral thing uh, and this full like resplendent cinematic visuals, do you think it would have actually had the same effect? No, not in the slightest. I think part part of the charm was um, Hiroki Hiroki Kikuda. His his instruments he used so many. I mean, some of them I hadn't even heard of. Some weird German instrument, and most of them were kind of woodwind and uh, percussion based but they, they added to the kind of minimalist feel of the game so I think it would have been lost definitely have a full orchestral score it, it wouldn't have that the same kind of feel basically so yeah, that, yeah the limitations that were imposed upon him made him thrive and rise to the challenge and the, the, sound, the soundtrack itself is a, it's just a masterpiece it's, it's phenomenal, I was listening to it all day today it's fantastic I would say the same for, for Dragon Quest V as well because I mean the soundtrack on that is sounds like it's just from the original SNES version, so it's just just a collection of bleeps and bloops really. But it's uh, <laughs> it's put together uh, with such a distinctive style, um, and I, I hate to use the word immersion, but it really does immerse yourself in in that world. Um, and actually, I, I would I would argue the point that because I I went and bought the orchestral version of Dragon Quest V, the soundtrack, and away from the game, because I've played it so much and I know the themes, the orchestral version does tend to sort of give me a much deeper emotional reaction when I'm listening to it away from the game. But I think if you turn that game into a PlayStation 3 uh, you know, game with all the modern bells and whistles, it wouldn't have anywhere near the same effect as it has done on me. Um, and I think, again, due to the restrictions of the format at the time, it just goes to show how much people, how much developers can actually do with something like that, rather than, you know, giving them a huge blank piece of paper, which must be overwhelming um, to try and come up with something unique.
So, we've listened to uh, Kelly and talk about uh, their emotional moments in gaming. Uh, I would implore listeners to think about what theirs were and uh, to, to try and dig a bit deeper into how games made them uh, feel. I, that, that's really what the whole point of the show was. And uh, we, we were very, very... Uh, I, I know... I, I apologise to Paul and, and Adam, but we, we had you on before. I haven't had Kelly on before ever. Um, you know, we were we were really excited to get you on the show, Kelly, because obviously that is the mandate of uh, of that game company to produce emotional experiences. That uh, because it, in your own in your own words, that the current video game market doesn't quite supply. Well, I would say um, that I, our goal is to create new emotional experiences because I think. It's important to recognize that all media provides emotional experiences, and I think um, one of my hopes is from dialogues like these is then we become more aware of the kinds of emotions that other video games elicit as well, and are they emotions we want, or you know, to create more dialogue and be more articulate about our emotional responses to our media. I think. Um, is a good thing <laughs> <laughs> to put it as inarticulately as possible. <laughs> but I think it, it helps um, challenge uh, the medium itself, the developers, um, and it and it helps us um, become more aware of how games have an impact on us. I think they all do in some way. So I mean, it, it it's it's been like fantastic to, to hear from all, all three of you but I just wanted to quickly return to Kelly because I know our listeners would, would not appreciate if I didn't at least ask you uh, and I know Joe kind of nudged me to ask you what what is uh, is there any sort of particular ETA that we can have on the, on the next uh, next uh, that game company oh no, no. Sony would kill me <laughs> <laughs> oh well we had to try but there is something being made that's true right there is something being made. It's our third game for PlayStation Network. That's what we're in development on now. And if you're in LA, um, email me because we need playtesters all the time. Wow. Damn it. Have <laughs> <laughs> you Moving guys come out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, and I, and again, just I would implore everyone to, to go play Flower and Flow because uh, they're two of the best games you can play on PlayStation Network. Oh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate Not that. Um, okay, so... Before we go, uh, we've, I've already given a bit of a, a bit of a plug for for you, Kelly. But um, where can our listeners find more about you and uh, and that game company? At thatgamecompany.com. We just started a Twitter feed too, um, so you can follow us on Twitter, and we have a Facebook page as well. So whichever uh, social media you prefer. Excellent. Is that is that uh, twitter.com slash thatgamecompany? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, and again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Okay, and uh, Adam, uh, thanks again so much for coming on the show yourself. And uh, and where can people find you? Oh no, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, well, I have a I have a riveting blog that's that's almost updated every month, <laughs> um, sometimes <laughs> not. Um, and that's at uh, soulfulgamer.com. And uh, yeah, I work for gamepeople.co.uk. And then there's uh, there's lots of different sort of styles of writing on that site and lots of different viewpoints. Um, so take a look over there. Talking of games, why you, you're brushing shoulders with uh, Rebecca Mays, who, appear, who appeared on that? Um. <laughs> yeah, she's the uh, she's the audio gamer there. So um, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's pretty cool. I, and I, you know, whilst Adam was being a bit unkind to himself, I think your stuff is riveting. So I, I would no, recommend thank you. people go read all your stuff. Is it gamepeople.com? 
gamepeople.co.uk. My apologies. Okay. Right, and uh, Paul, we know where, where people can find you, um, which is going to be on our, on our site in the future. But um, last time you were on, we didn't get to plug your other your other work. So please tell people about your deviant artwork because I I would be I think it would be great for people to see the emotion you put into your art as well. Okay, um, I've not actually updated in quite a while. I've not got a scanner. I've been taking. There's loads there though, so uh, that's mostly. <laughs> I'm not gonna let, you're not going to not get the link out. <laughs> it's mostly sketchbook work, but okay. Um, the last one I did was with a mobile phone camera, so <laughs> uh, it is feel like more. Dot deviantart. Dot com. Fantastic. And you're, you were telling us about your first article. Do you want to remind us what that's going to be on? Yeah, basically about the importance, what I feel the importance of originality in gaming is today. And by looking at Demon's Souls, the, the, I know it's not released in the UK yet. I don't even know if it's going to be, but that is by far one of the most original games I've ever played. And I think it's a hugely important game, so I will be making specific reference to that and, and a couple other games, but just how I feel. Um, about Very the, cool. about the it's, climate it's just catching now. fire. It's catching fire on the other side of the mm. ocean, isn't it? Demon's yeah, Souls. it's Can't crazy. People just keep talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think. But my point, my point about the originality is, I know a lot of people will be buying the sequels of, you know, looking forward to um, Left 4 Dead 2, Uncharted 2, all those other games coming up in the future. But I, what I'm going to mention is, I, I do feel people actually do want and are intrigued by originality. It's just I don't think they know it. Does that does that make sense? Like they will actively seek out Demon Souls now because they're intrigued, but they they won't necessarily, um, quite explicitly, understand why originality is important. I feel. I will wait till your article to agree or disagree. <laughs> I think I just said it all. Did I not? <laughs> well, yeah, but then no one will read your article. <laughs> um, so yeah, look out for that on the site. Uh, we haven't got an ETA on that, but uh, I think pretty much before the end of the month is probably likely, isn't it? Yeah, I'll have that done, probably this week. Fantastic. Okay, um, and Joe, we we haven't heard too much from you this this week. We've been listening to our guests, so uh, fill, fill our ears with joy. What, have, what Any plugs and shout-outs you have for us this week? Sure. Uh, there'll be a Katamari Forever review on the site, uh, biggerpotion.com, before this show goes up. Um, and I know we've been talking about originality and stuff. That game might not have it, but it does have a unique world, so that sort of ties into what we talked about today. Um, there'll also be an Uncharted 2 review I'm doing for TGR that'll be up this week as well. And BigRedPotion.com, as always, because it's awesome. And we just put a show guide up there for people that uh, may be confused about our shows or want to find out what topics were on every episode in one handy-dandy page. They can check that out and get everything all in one. He says we, but it was all him. So. <laughs> oh, I need, uh, to, I need to mention Dits and Rockstar Aviator. <laughs> D- from Dits the more so, yeah. I get mentioned every week on that podcast, which I love, but Dits actually just sent me a, a fight stick for, the, for Street Fighter. Or oh. fighting game Wonderful. in the hole for the 360, um, which is just absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm I'm in a tournament just now, in in Glasgow, which I'm going to every fortnight. I didn't have a fight stick, which and they're actually completely vital. He just mentioned via Twitter. Oh, I think I've got one kicking about. Yeah, I'll chuck it in the post. <laughs> and for that, I will be eternally grateful. It's a, a wonderful thing, and I'm, I'm incredibly pleased you did that. And so thank you very much, Dits, and thank you. The uh, gamerscenepodcast.com. Absolutely, that's the one. <laughs> Very cool. 
Okay, uh, I'll just throw because we didn't get to talk about um, JLI's moment. I, I wrote some uh, something about one of uh, an improvement. Uh, I'll say that again without sounding like an idiot. I talked about a moment that was very important to me in gaming on one of my blog posts, and I'll leave a link in the show notes if anyone's interested. But uh, it goes along with a lot of the themes of sort of context and uh, something that's occurring to you in your own life and seeing it, you know uh, how gaming relates to it. And, uh, so I'll, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Right, so again, Kelly, Adam, well, thank you so much, and to you, Joe, as well. Uh, and uh, this has been a big revolution. We'll see you all next week.